All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. What was that rocket? What rocket? I was just in my office and I heard a rocket. Describe the rocket, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? Time Radio Podcast, Forge of Chaos, episode 137, and uh, we have a doozy for you today. We're jam-packed. We are, actually. A lot of good music for now, a lot of labels and promotional stuff in this episode. Uh, brand new stuff from Chasm Dweller, Snipers of Babel, also have KK's Priest, uh, Battlefield, got some, what else we got in here? Good rock block with Subfire, Rich Kid Express, Neko's Pick of the Week. Mm-hmm. Some new Enslaved, some more of that from that EP we heard earlier, like a few weeks ago. Also got some uh, good friend of mine on the Broncos Forum, his band Choirs of the Voice, we debuting oh, cool. uh, his stuff tonight. Uh, also got some stuff on Nerve Chaos, Son of Sam, and much, much more. Great topics at hand. We will have our retro DVD movie vault pick. We'll talk about later. It was actually a surprise to Neko who enjoyed it, which is cool. So it's going to be a lot of fun talking about that. That's one of those hidden gem movies, I would say. What? The Ugly. Oh, yeah. I was like, wait a minute. What are you talking Oh, yeah. What? Yeah, what? What? Got some news about James Bond, although it's not the Daniel Craig. But we'll get to uh, some more of that because there's some interesting tidbits about all that as well. And uh, we're going to kick it off, though. Uh, Neko has some uh, news, local news, to talk about. Little news bits that she did start last week, and it's kind of cool and fun. So I'm going to turn it over to her. So our little tidbit of the day. Henry and Alex is, well, was, excuse me. She was a Baltimore resident. She was in Turner Station, which is part of Dundalk, which is where, you know, I grew up and we're living now. What's really interesting about Miss Lax was she is an African American and I know they made a a movie called The Immortal Henrietta Lax, but she was fairly young when she passed away, I think maybe 30 or 31, and she 
progressive form of cervical cancer. When she went to the hospital, which was Johns Hopkins, um, there was not, you gotta remember this is back in the early 50s, so there were only a handful of hospitals that would treat African American people. So um, she went to Johns Hopkins and they, you know, took tissue to biopsy and find out what was going on with her. And it turns out that her cells are immortal. It's kind of the, it's really, they completely keep regenerating. Normally, you know, our cells, when we, we they, they have an, a life expectancy. When you take out cells from people, they kind of just die or, you know, whatever. Her cells have been regenerating and multiplying for years and years and years. So what's really interesting is there have been advances in cancer, AIDS, in vitro fertilization, all came from cells or descendants of the original cells that they took from Henrietta Lacks. The big problem is it's without permission. Yeah. So now Henrietta Lacks' family, you know, remember this is the 50s, this is before HIPAA and all of the kind of things that we have, and it's also before the Civil Rights Act of, uh, what was it, 63 or 62? So this is all before that. African-American people had like zero rights whatsoever, and she could only go to like one hospital. And this specific hospital took her cells and used them for research, but then there was a um, pharmacology, am I saying that right? Thermo Fisher Scientific, so a pharmacology company. Thermo Fisher has, does a lot of different things, but they're actually, the family's suing them because they feel that these biomedical giants, which are profiting off of their family's cells, that were taken without permission, that Johns Hopkins gave without permission, they feel that it's unethical and they don't feel it's right that the cells were used without anybody's permission. And because they are immortal, they're called the HeLa cells. Yeah. They, um, to the point of, this goes to like um, privacy too. Like all of her information because of the research and how like, unique her cells are, they were like published online, her genome was pu published online, so it's really kind of like, the family clearly, you can't get her back, she passed away years ago, but th these are her grandchildren now who are realizing, especially now that there are so many more rights to everybody, you know, she was a a woman, an African American, a minority, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. She had zero rights and they took and they were able, these companies were able to profit off of it. Now here comes my caveat, and this is what I wanted to kind of pose to you. Is there some kind of limit, a time limit, now that so much time has passed, are, are you worried? I mean, a lawsuit doesn't mean they're gonna win. Is it possible that the law says, you know, there's a statute of limitations on things like this, so we really can't do anything for you? Or are, are they going to look at Henrietta's cells maybe differently because technically, yes, there's a statute of limitation, but technically today the cells are still being 
used, like, as in brand new, because they keep regenerating themselves. I think that if I'm defending the, the client, I'm going to approach it as, you know, my clients feel that using her cells for science and to help humanity is a good thing, but they have an issue with the financial part of it where they're making a lot of money and, and stuff. And the privacy of it, I, I feel, is something that, yeah, they're making a lot of money, but Henrietta's everything has been just kind of publicly traded. Because and the thing right now is, and you know, you hate to, to, to say it, but because of the time in the day and age that we are now with race and how, you know, African-American people feel like they're still being held under uh, I'm sure whoever would be their lawyer is going to bring that up and say, look, it's just more of this more of the same. white man holding the black people down by not giving them compensation for the sales that their mother or whoever uh, provided I mean, here. I mean, it's, it's really interesting because this isn't like the first time something like this has happened, especially to an African-American person. It's just her cells are so special. And... You know, a lot of scientists are... are I just think that at this stage, it doesn't have to be like, you know, a $50 million settlement. It's like, look, if I'm the judge, I'm just like, look, well, go ahead, because you, you are waiting until now to do this. I would mm -hmm. say, what we're going to do is, because we do want to be fair, is we're going to throw you some kickbacks off of this. So whatever that price may be, you'll at least see some of the financial benefit of this, but we... You know, I guess in some ways he has a set of precedent about the statute of limitations mm -hmm. and whether or not it's valid for them to come to them at this point in time and say, oh, you have to stop doing this. Um, so there, I'm sure a, a good judge would be balanced and fair about it and how he would handle it, but uh, I don't think there is a statute of limitations or any kind of precedent at this stage, so he would almost have to start now. And that's, that's one, one of the things that they're saying. Like, Lack's family has been working together with um, John Hopkins and other scientists to establish stronger rules to govern, you know, the use of the previous specimens that they took. You know, these specimens are continuously, you know, they live on longer than she has. And um, what's really interesting is some scientists are calling for an end to use of them altogether because it, it's unethical. But then on the flip side, when in, in the article that was posted in the recent local newspaper, The Eagle, you know, one of her grandchildren were just being interviewed and basically said, I've had people come up to me and say, thank you you know, so much for your grandmother's contribution, I wasn't able to have a baby until, you know, in vitro, which was, you know, her cells were used. And the family doesn't want, like, these important things to be glossed over, but the family also doesn't want to be, like, what's the, like, they want it to be acknowledged that she was a, a person. She's not just, like, some science experiment and they want I mean very public everybody knows they were taken and used without consent and they want them to acknowledge like a lot of things and they want to come up with a like I was saying a real use and a real governing law of how these cells should be used so I 
sure we're going to hear more. This is going to be national news, so if you're listening to this anywhere, um, you're probably going to hear about this because Henrietta Lacks cells are being being used all over the country. That's how like potent they are. Yeah. So more to come. I'm, you know, I don't even know how. Like, what? It just like it feels like nobody wins. Like if they stop using the cells, then yeah, because you know I'm sure the family doesn't want to do that, but at the same time they kind of at this stage see what the kind of money that these corporations are making, and they're like. That's not right. And they're not necessarily going after the scientists. Right. It's it, for them, it's the... The, the companies. Yeah, the big companies, the pharmacological companies that are using the cells to profit. Like, if they feel if they feel like it would be like if somebody stole your car and stripped it for parts and sold it to other people and made more money, but they're, then you're left with nothing. Right. So, it's just insane. I hope that something good comes out of this because if she's her everything that she unknowingly gave up in her cells for biopsy turned out to be huge for science and that is my little tidbit all right well let's jump into our music we're going to kick off our first block with some chasm dweller from their flesh crusade album from this year this is called hex beyond mortality
y'all, this is Roger from No Moss. And also, Ben from No Moss. Hey, Henry over here from No Moss. You're listening to Metal Tavern Radio. Come get it. Get lit. Yeah, and John too. <laughs> Newlist back with you. And DJ Neko. So, uh, before we get into our next topic, we were, we appeared on the Fat Samurai channel for Versus Between Silver Bullet and the Howling. That was, or not the Howling, Bad Moon, excuse me. And, uh, that was a lot of fun. I was, like, really surprised that you and I picked the same. I'm not. You were talking about it, like, during the movie when you were watching it they're like the dog was gonna sell you well I knew I I knew what I was gonna pick but like well I I knew I was gonna pick before I even got into any of them oh see I didn't I I didn't know I thought you were gonna go with more silver bullet then Mm -mm. I don't know like I love both movies don't get me wrong but seriously the dog I've never seen um I was gonna call it new moon um yeah I've never seen Yeah, I didn't really get into it last night, but I had first seen that, funny enough, um, around the same time I saw The Ugly. Like, those oh, came around right. came out around the same time. Uh, I saw them both on just regular TV. It was either USA or, I don't think, I don't think Sci-Fi was around back then, were they? But Yeah, they were, but it was a little bit different. Yeah. So, I mean, I remember seeing them on TV and I like, fell in love with both movies. I'm like, wow, this is great. Uh... So anyway, uh, into our topic here. MetalSludge.tv had an article that I had not seen before until earlier this week. And uh, I'd always known that Rat, one of my favorite 80s rock and roll bands, uh, had been kind of split off. It's, it seems to happen with a lot of bands that we like these days. Queen's Yeah, exactly. Um, and so you had certain members of the group doing their version of rat and of course other members doing their own version of rat and uh at one point apparently one crucier or crucier and stephen piercy uh the vocalist and bassist uh were one version of rat and then drummer bobby blotzer and whoever he had within the group at the time was another version of it so they were continuing this fight for the name and the image and all the shit like that. So they apparently went to court over it. Like it's it's gotten pretty bad to the point that they're really having to go to court and, and hash it out. And uh, apparently Blotzer lost uh, in court. And he didn't just lose. I mean, he lost big. Like he owes the band uh, $2 million. Uh, I don't know what exactly that's for. I don't know if it's like back back uh, finances and wages that he made under the rat name. I don't know if that's how the judge came to that conclusion. Damn! But, uh, not only does he have to pay that, but he can no longer use the rat name or any image uh, affiliated with rat with anything that he does. 
So I apologize for the cat taking a piss. You can probably hear it. She is <laughs> insane. Like, this cat. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so W. They had a company at the time that all of them were WBS, which was short for Warren D. Martin, which was a guitarist, Bobby Blotcher, and Stephen Piercy. Those were the three mains. Uh, Robin Crosby, of course, was an original member, but he passed away late 90s, I believe, early 2000s. So he was not really involved in any of the shenanigans at this point. Uh... Yeah, but like I said, the, the bands, the members have been going back and forth a while. They even had been together for a while. I have to go back and look, but I'm pretty sure when they did 2008's Infestation album that they were all still together, except for, I think, Carlos Cavazza from Quiet Riot was actually in guitars in that album, which is a really great record. Uh, but that after that, I guess they just fell apart again, and <clears throat> Piercy and company were just doing their own thing now. But they won the name to Rat, and Bobby has to do all this. So I, I thought that was a, a very interesting thing because it sucks because I really like this band. Um, when they did release Infestation, I thought, oh, cool, they're going to be back and putting out records. But no. No. No, it's like I've got these huge gaps. <laughs> now, to Stephen Pierce's credit, he did an album two or three years ago, a solo record that was very rat-like and it was really cool because the cover kind of reminded me of a James Bond film uh, but it was a really good record and uh, compared I didn't like his stuff with Arcadia or stuff like that that he did after leaving the first time from Rat but uh, you know apparently I don't know if they're going to put out another record or not I just, at this point I don't know if they're just touring under the name mm -hmm. which is probably what's going on more than anything they're probably just still touring and all that shit uh, I know they're not selling out arenas anymore but yeah. But there's, it's, for you, it's more of, like, the nostalgia factor, like... Yeah, you know, I just... It, it sucks, because when you have... It, it's sort of like Sepultura. For a long time, Sepultura was my favorite band, and when they broke up in the 90s, I'm like, fuck. You know, at least with Devin Townsend, I don't have to worry about him breaking up with himself, you know? It's just, he just comes up with another band. <laughs> right. He, he does everything the right way. He's like, okay, don't want to do this anymore, I'll just do this. And then I'll just do this. So... Yeah, it sucks. Uh, I hate to see guys like Bobby, you know, having to deal with this. But at the same time, it's kind of like you guys can't hash and work this shit out. This is where you end up. And it's not always nice. So, sucks to be you, dude. Alright, well, into our next block of music. Uh, I got some Battlefield plus Death Dealer. and But we're going to kick it off with... Uh, K.K.'s Priest, and this is another version of Judas Priest. That's right. We talked about how K.K., about a year or so ago, <clears throat> after Judas Priest released Firepower, that K.K. was touring, doing the older Priest classics. Now, on this new record, I wasn't sure exactly the lineup. I still don't know the rest of the guys, but I know who the singer is, and it's so interesting, because it's Ripper Owens. Who sang what? on? Who sang on a couple of Judas Priest records yeah. when Rob left? So, uh, very cool here. And I know Ripper's got another project he's going. Uh, I'll probably find out a little bit more about that in the next couple of weeks. But uh, KK's Priest out of the new one is very, very strong. Um, I wouldn't say it's good as Firepower, but it's very much in the Priest's mold. And the one cool thing about this was the th reason why I couldn't get into ripper era priest was that it didn't seem like 
he had the vocals obviously but it, the music wasn't really written to his strengths i believe so mm-hmm. it wasn't like like when you hear like uh when he sang with iced earth that was more in his vein or when he did his solo stuff with scream mm. machine you know those seemed more to his abilities uh and same with this kk's priest album uh, and the track we got for you kicking off is called sermons of the center here's kk priest <laughs>
DJ Anubis here, and I want to say if you dig all things Godzilla and KG related, then check out the YouTube channel of the Sci-Fi Century. He has great reviews, opinions, and theories in the world of sci-fi horror, anime, and of course everyone's favorite comic breeding lizard, Godzilla. Century provides great commentary when both having a special guest on his shows as well as the collaborations with the big teddy bear, that fat samurai guy. So if you want to keep it raw, real, tune into the Sci-Fi Century. That's S-C-I-F-I-S-E-N-T-R-Y Sci-Fi Century Tune in to get the best in science fiction and Godzilla related information Peace Alright, we're back So this week the new James Bond gets released, No Time to Die, starring Daniel Craig. And uh, I know Samurai and some others are going to talk about it tonight because they probably went today to see it upon its release. We're going to get to it probably next week if we can. Um, you know, we just got so much going on. But there was a couple of uh, articles on Screen Rant. Uh, regarding James Bond stuff that I thought was pretty interesting. One is something we've talked about before many times uh, regarding who the next James Bond should be. Yeah. And uh, apparently the... the It's not just us. Like There's a lot of people that really want Idris Elba to be the next James Bond. And even he has said that it'd be an honor to play the role. Uh, but he's been... In, uh, asked about it and he said that he probably would never be James Bond because he doesn't really say why uh, I think it has something to do with the fact that I think he's worried about his age uh, well I don't think he's so much worried about it. I mean he probably worries about doing some of the stunt work but at the same time like I think that he feels in some ways without saying it that the world isn't ready for a black James Bond like I think he still feels like there's an issue there with the race part of it. And, uh, and maybe he's right, maybe he's not, but at least not for us. We, we'd fucking love to have him. There's a lot of people that would. Uh, I think he'd make a fabulous James Bond. Mm -hmm. Now, the other name that comes up is another black guy, of course, uh, Daniel Kaluuya. And I, I recognize him, just not sure from where, but, uh, he's, his name's been coming up too, but, the article itself has said that uh, they make an argument for why Elba would be the better choice. And I think he's right, because you don't really notice it a lot of times, but Idris is actually a very funny guy when he's on screen doing a character. We saw the Suicide Squad. He had some pretty sarcastic, funny moments in that. He was in The Office. That, too. Um, and then he has like other more serious roles, like... Uh, from The Wire and stuff like that where Stricker Bell and stuff like Stringer Bell excuse me and stuff like that but the article does go in there and says that you know Elba probably would be a better because it, it, I guess his argument is Daniel Craig played a lot of these more serious Bond movies mm -hmm. and feels like it's time for James Bond to kind of get back to more of the lighter side which we saw with 
Connery and Roger Moore and Dalton, you know, have a little more humor in it. Uh, so he feels like Elba would be perfect for that type of bond, mm -hmm. you know. So I, I think he has a good point there. Um, now, the other uh, article I saw is in regards to the movie To Live and I Die with Roger Moore. This one was a little more interesting. I didn't know this. So apparently at the time when they were creating this, it was both done uh, as Roger Moore's debut, but also as, uh, I guess from what they said in some other article, that it's sort of like playing off the black exploitation films of, the, of that era in the 70s. Oh. And I remember, uh, I can't remember, I should not forget the, the lead guy's name who played Kanunga. Um, but he had said that he really didn't like the way that the black, his, his character and the blacks were portrayed so much in this in that film. Uh, but I think he has to kind of understand at the time that's sort of what it was, too. I think he, well, he, he had mentioned that the way they portrayed voodoo and stuff like that was very inaccurate. Like, he thought it was, like, just kind of making a mockery of it. Well, it, it happens all the time with uh, the satanic panic. Right. Where everybody thinks that, you know, we're listening to devil-worshipping music when it's really just Marilyn Manson, you know? <laughs> right. So, that, that happens a lot, and it's just because it's almost a caricature of what it really should be. But, you know, the thing about that is, though, my argument in behalf of the movie itself, because it is my favorite Bond movie of all time, is that it's the same thing we say nowadays. Like, I don't want to take movies that seriously. Mm -hmm. Like, I go into it. Like, I really don't think when I watch it, I don't think, oh, voodoo is necessarily bad or... You know, the black people who were portraying the, the voodoo priest and whatnot were bad people. They played bad people in the film, but... No, no, I think what he's saying is they just literally portrayed them so over the top that it's not a real representation of what it is. And it was kind of portraying it more in a negative light than... Well, but you could see that also in uh, Seagal's Mark for Death or... Uh, the Serpent and the Rainbow with Bill Pullman. Like, mm -hmm. those also portrayed voodoo as this, like, very dark... I mean, every time we see horror movies dealing with voodoo stuff, it's usually a dark thing. That we talked about the other day with uh, Trilogy of Terror, the, the little voodoo doll at the end. Again, more voodoo mysticism mm -hmm. and the, the the unknown about it and, the, the you know, stuff like that. So I understand where the actor is coming from. At the same time, I'm like, dude, I didn't take it quite that serious. I just had a fun movie that I love watching. And, you know, I liked everyone. All the black actors and everything. Like, it was great, you know. Uh, there was another mention that initially Solitaire, played by Jane Seymour, was supposed to be played by, or they had thought they were going to try to play uh, by Diana Ross. Oh, wow. But uh, I guess the studio changed their minds at the last minute. Uh, again, maybe it's one of those things where they weren't quite ready. I, I can't say they weren't quite ready for interracial because there is a scene where Moore is kissing the black agent chick that's helping him or whatever, the one that's like undercover that mm -hmm. dies. So I don't know. I don't know what happened there with that, why they went with Senior. Maybe it's because she had more acting chops at that point. I don't know. Um, but in this, the tarot cards that Solitaire used 
Um, we don't, we don't really see a lot of them, but we see some of it. You know, when they they're playing with it and how Moore's Bond is interacting with Solitaire and such and such. Uh, but apparently, Salvatore. Salvador Dali was initially uh, penned to create the cards, and the art that he had for him was pretty amazing. However, his asking price was too much, so the, the studio chose like, not to go. Yeah, no. Yeah, we're, he wanted like seven million dollars, and that was about what it would cost to make the movie. And they were like, "Yeah, we're not doing that. We're just because the, the cards aren't in the movie that much, so we'll just go get our own deck and we'll just go with that." That's funny. But I found that... We're just going to go to the store. Right. So I'm just kind of like... That was kind of a cool little tidbit there that I did not know about, though. Yeah, I had no idea that um, Salvador Dali was supposed to... Yeah, I I thought that was... Yafat Kodo, that's what I'm thinking of, who played Kanunga. Um, But yeah, that's an interesting bit of trivia for Bond fans there. All right, well... Back in our music, uh, we've got some infected chaos provided by Metal Message. Mm-hmm. Feed the corpses to the pigs provided by Horror Pain Gore. Mm-hmm. And we're kicking off on Burial from Everlasting Speed Records, The Curse of the Unborn Like God. We'll be back.
What's up, everyone? This is Richie from Grave Huffer, and you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. Rank it the fuck up. earlier we got Neko's pick of the week in here also got stuff from against PR VR Finland new uh, label squid kick records sent us some stuff angel PR inverse records and coming from inverse we're gonna kick it off with this band called hoot nanny freaks hoot nanny Joe Bob's hoot nanny freaks it's called night train and we'll be back with you in a little bit
Looking for a place to take care of all your automotive needs? Then get in touch with Stauffer's Auto Service in Millersville, Maryland. Stauffer's takes care of all auto repairs, auto service, and great quality parts as well. Stauffer's is located at A328 Veterans Highway, Suite E in Millersville. Be sure to call and check out all their service specials related to your automotive needs. Stauffer's is professional, friendly, and has highly qualified mechanics to do excellent work with prices that are fair and much better than what you will find at other automotive places. So call 410-729-0121. That's 410-729-0121. And tell them the newsman and his trusty sidekick, Neko, sent you
DJ Lewis here. And Mecca is doing laundry for her pick of the week. Go figure. Sorry, I'm just like super low energy. Today. <laughs> and I'm trying to do laundry because I'm supposed to leave tomorrow morning to go on a little mini trip. And I'm going to want to make Yeah, she's doing wifey things for me and for her. And yeah, I'm trying to make sure he has his, his work clothes because I'm not going to be home until... Uh, Late? Well, probably... She's not even going to make it all night here. Uh-uh. Oh, shit. <laughs> so, I, I probably won't be home until Sunday, like, afternoon, and he'll already be at work, so... Yeah. So, I'm like, ugh. Why you got an ish? All right, so, your pick is another Fleetwood Mac tune. Mm-hmm. And why'd you select this? I like it. I know, you're right. I'm going to have to really sit down and go through some songs. Yeah. I, you, you've kept a... Uh, that list is uh, gone. That list you made is done. But did you keep a list of like what I already did? No, but I, I would recognize them. Are you sure? Yeah. you positive? Oh, yeah. Okay. Very positive. So this is just another track that you really dig. And, of course, it's mm-hmm. Flavor Max, but it's not that bad. I do. I like... I, I just like how... When it starts... Did it, it came off Rumors? I think this... The rumors is like one of the best yeah. records I've had. No, I, I think that this... One thing I really like about it is the way it starts. Like, it just starts. There's no, like... You know, it's like, she's loving you. Right. You know, it just out of nowhere. It kind of just happens. It's not like this huge build-up. Um, but I really do, like, kind of... As it does build up towards the end, like that that whole like guitar solo, the so I know that was a really good impression of the song. <laughs> and with that, with that, I'm gonna hand it off to DJ Anubis so that you can hear one of my favorite songs. I actually. I do have multiple copies of Rumors on, on vinyl because I, I come across it all the time. And I'm like, oh, look, it's Fleetwood Mac. It's like three bucks. It's how I ended up with two Death Spiritual Healing albums. But one is like a color-coded one. One is just a black vinyl, but it's still kind of fun. Or what ends up happening is we'll go to the record stores that have those, like, oh, the dollar section or the three dollar section. And if I see something and I'm like, it's only a dollar or three dollars and it's a band that I like... I don't have, like, an inventory of all of my records, and maybe we should start doing that because we are starting to amass a collection. Yeah. Because what ends up happening, we start looking, and we'll go out of town to check out these record stores, um, like that place in Frederick. Uh, we had Graveyard. Yeah, like, Rock and roll graveyard. we spent, like, $200, and it was like, you know, we're, we don't get out to Frederick very often, we had a full day plan because we went to a concert that night too and I was like digging through stuff and I I forgot what it was but I'm like oh I think it was it was uh was it Flashdance or Car- it was something I'm like I, I don't know but you found like uh the good bad and the ugly yeah I found the good the bad and the ugly soundtrack for a few dollars more um but it was weird because I normally what happens is I'll just like if it's a Fleetwood Mac album and it's in the you know discount I'm like it's only a dollar so I might as well just buy it just in case I don't have it and that's that's how I think I have like two or three copies. That's how she ends up with ten of them. Yeah, with same thing with sticks. 
I think I have, we have like three of the um, Paradise Lost. Uh, the rock. Rock in Paradise. Paradise. Whatever. Paradise Theater. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I, um, so, anyway, that was a little story about us going record hunting. And we're going to go record hunting again probably before I start my new job. Well, my old job, new job. <laughs> so I left my job that I left my old job for. They know that. And I'm going to start in about three weeks. It keeps getting pushed more and more. Well, yeah, it's really making me mad. Yeah. It's making me mad because I totally thought I would be starting on the 18th and now it's the 25th and I haven't gotten a call about my background checker. You know. It takes time. I know. All right, well, here's her pick of the week. Here's my pick of the week. I'm going to sing. Fleetwood Mac, go your own way. Attention, please. Be prepared for a musical transformation that you've never felt before. In a moment, we will bring you on a journey like there's no tomorrow. And we will break new ground. Hailing from the land below the wind. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. DJ Neko's pick of the week. Go your own way 
everyone, this is Blake from Pig Destroyer, Hate Beak, and Zealot R.I.P. And you are listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko at Metal Tavern Radio. Get into it now. DJ Dubis here with you. Hordes of Chaos, episode 137. So, uh, so what? There's this movie coming out, and I, you know, initially I see, I know a lot of different movies are coming out, and you kind of get excited for certain ones here and there, but this one caught my eye for a number of different reasons. Uh, one, it's based off a graphic novel, which we really like. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about. Silver Bullet last night, and then of course movies like The Crow, etc. It's called Boy Kills World, and I know nothing about it. Uh, But it's directed by Sam Raimi, which is cool. Uh, When did you hear about it? Just like the other day, (laughs) like two days ago. I haven't heard anything about this yet. Right. Uh, So, but there's three characters in it already that have caught my attention. Bill Skarsgård, who mm-hmm. was part of Hemlock Grove and It. Uh, Samara Weaving, someone who we love a lot from mm-hmm. uh, Ready or Not and Mayhem. And then um, Yeon Ruin, who was one of the baddies in The Raid and John Wick 3. So he's a real, that real martial, the short martial arts guy who's a badass. Uh-huh. Uh, so he's in this, too. Uh, so it's sort of like an action adventure type film uh basically it says boy kills world is set in a distinct dystopian world combining real world themes with a stylized look that is fresh cool and original borrowing from the best of graphic novels novels excuse me uh scarsgar will play boy with ruian as the shaman who mentors him weaving will play an assassin named june 27 so we do know she can kind of do these action roles a little bit because we watched her in um, the Daniel Radcliffe film, um, I forget, Gundam. No, what was the fuck of the name of that film where he had his guns like melted into his... Yes, that's it. Uh, so we do know she can do some of these more action roles and whatnot from like Mayhem and that. And so it's kind of cool. Um, of course, they just break down most of who they are so it's still kind of like early and works i guess but uh outside i don't know a whole lot about it it's, uh it's a first time feature director moritz mower is helming the project um nadiba big pictures i guess is that's the studio or part of the stu- hammerstone studios mm-hmm. so they're uh, creating this but uh it really looked interesting um can't wait to see a trailer for it. Yeah, this this article from uh, Hollywood Reporter literally got released like yesterday, <laughs> so so it's pretty new information. Oh wow! But I did see that uh, Samara, because I follow her on Twitter, and she is uh, in France right now. She has this haircut that she's got on this picture here, which is pretty nice on her. Uh, she was just taking a picture of her in some sort of like outfit a sort of like dystopian type mm-hmm. thing so i was like oh this must be for your new movie <laughs> you know didn't hear anything back she doesn't talk to me she doesn't like me but she doesn't talk to me i'm sorry <laughs> is, it, is it the one with the bangs yeah 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 mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's a little bit different look for her than the previous stuff. What were we watching? And she was a dark... It, it was the Akim, Guns Akimbo, wasn't it? Where she was dark hair? Yeah. And you were like, she really, like, you're just used to seeing her with the blonde, but you're like, she was... Yeah, when you see her in, like, Mayhem or Ready or Not or The Babysitter, she's got these more traditional hairstyles and whatnot. But this one, uh, even though she's still blonde here, uh, dirty blonde, uh, the Guns of Kimbo, she was, like, a totally different look there for that one. But I'm really curious about Rian, too, being the shaman, because he's an excellent martial artist. And mm -hmm. I don't know how much of that Skarsgård can do. Um, we did really like Hemlock Grove when it was on uh, Netflix. Uh, didn't care for the It movies that much, but it's not really his fault for that. That's probably more relying too much on CGI for a lot of that stuff. But Hemlock Grove was actually for like three seasons. It had Famke Jensen in it. And mm -hmm. I thought that was a pretty interesting uh, TV show that we were watching. Anywho, any thoughts? Any uh, excited at all for this? No, it sounds really good. Like, I hadn't heard anything about it. I mean, it's cool that Rainey's involved because, you know, he does a lot of cool shit. And I forgot what it was. We were... Oh, it's going to be with the Ugly. I'm going to get to that later. Um, so it's kind of interesting. Rainey has a lot of ties into Ugly, too. All right. Well, let's get back into our music. Um, next block, we have some Merciless and Titan from uh, Hard Life Promotion. But two or three weeks ago, I think, Neko and I played a new track off the new EP for Enslaved. Uh, there's another track we're going to play tonight. And I've actually, I, put, I posted a YouTube clip like a couple of days ago, and a lot of people liked it. It's called Rune 2. And uh, it's a beautiful uh, track and a very cool video, too. It's very... It's very Vikings feel because you have the young girl who's there with her mom and she's passed away and she's laid out and she's got the little necklace and stuff with the bird skulls and whatnot. You know, it's total Viking shit going on. Um, but it's called uh, Rune 2 the Epitaph and here it is Enslaved, brand new shit coming at you live. Yeah.
anime from Darken and you are listening to the Holes of Chaos only on Metal Tavern Radio. This is the Retro Movie Vault with your hosts DJ Anubis and DJ Neko only on Metal Tavern Radio. You haven't heard anybody say anything about either one of these. Well, what about these two? Well, they suck. These are the same two movies? You weren't paying any attention. No, I wasn't. I don't think your manager would appreciate it. I appreciate your ruse, ma'am. I beg your pardon? Your ruse, your cunning attempt to trick me. Why did you kill her? I've already told you. No, you told me how. I asked you why. Why did you kill her? I killed them because I had to. Why did you think you had to? Because I heard voices. I know all this, Simon. The ugly would talk. That's right. No! What do you mean, no? Serial killers get a sense of control from their killings. I'm not a serial killer. You're not crazy either. I heard voices. It's not uncommon in post-trauma cases. You said others. Do you hear voices? I heard voices. The ugly's voice? Yes, I heard voices. More than one voice? What's the difference? I hear voices. You mean heard, Simon. What's the fucking difference? I hear voices. small clip there from the movie from 1997 The Ugly Ugly. like I remember we were talking about The Ugly a couple of weeks ago when we were doing our thing I see my glasses (laughs) oh god I hate my life today for all all you people out there it's been a rough day it's been a rough Uh, week we have been doing some work around the house for weeks and we actually had some issues with our toilet and when I was putting in the new flooring in the bathroom we had removed the toilet so that I could clean it clean the floor old floor up and then put the new floor down well our house is 70 years old and Anubis and I put the toilet back but it wasn't like really great because it was, it was like, never great to begin with, but it has nothing to do with our movie, but it just shows it's you just that... just like, everything is overwhelming. Right, it's been a long week, but uh, we're going to get through this. We're going to get through it. Okay, I'm sorry. I love the movie. I love the fucking movie. Yeah, you know, we were kind of talking about this a little bit with last night on Samurai's versus episode with Silver Bullet and Bad Moon, is that everyone knows pretty much what Silver Bullet is, the movie, and but Bad Mood, most people never really paid attention to it because it just wasn't one of those want movies that... Did it even go out into... Apparently it did. It didn't do well, but apparently, I, in, I guess 
for Bad Moon, it was a lack of promotion for it. It must have been. It was a smaller studio because that happens a lot with right. these, these smaller. Movies. Now with the Ugly, I don't think if it did go to. Well, it's a New Zealand movie. Right. One. So it would have been like an independent type thing. They wouldn't have had a lot of releases, but. Uh, the movie stars uh, Palo Rotondo, who plays Simon Cartwright, uh, Rebecca Hobbs, Roy Ward, Paul Glover, Christopher Graham, Jennifer Ward, Leland, and some other people in there. Palo or pa Paulo uh, Rotondo, he plays Simon Cartwright, who is a serial killer. He says he's not a serial killer, but he's a serial killer who's been put in a mental institution and for the last six or so years his behavior has been very well he's he's under the uh watch of a couple of guards and also the head doctor there i forget his uh character name but he's played pretty well uh and there hasn't been any episodes with simon you know getting really crazy of course he's been he's content. also being abused by the guards, like, left and right. Yeah, you're going to see a lot of similarities here with, like, maybe, uh, even though this was before Zombies Halloween, but there's, you know, we, we saw it with, like, even uh, Terminator 2 Judgment Day when uh, the lead chicks was in her institution and the gate was being abused. There seems to be this common theme of abuse of inmates. But... Even with all that, Simon, we haven't really figured out, like, we know now, but we don't really figure out, like, if he's just smart, like, like Hannibal Lecter smart, or if he's just seriously just demented. Um, we also, he has this, what we feel is a sense of impressionism, I guess you would call it, because, like, he can almost... Like, project his thoughts Right, on right. Yeah, we, we, we see weird things like that that we never really get any clear answers to, even at the end. Um, but the whole idea is Rebecca Haas plays this other psychiatrist who comes in to uh, reevaluate him. And, and this is by request by Simon because he's looking, I think, to try to get out or on good behavior, whatever you would call it. Um... So he wants to be reevaluated, and she's there to do this. And but she's somebody who has kind of made a big name for herself by getting other crazy people off. And so like she's more of like a glory hound in some way. She likes to, to be in the papers and TV and the media. So I think Simon kind of knows this, but he figures since she got the last guy off or whatever from his time in jail or the mental institution that she can do the same for him uh, but as she starts poking and prodding at his history and uh, you know what happens with him as a young boy and everything else uh, she starts to notice that you know he's saying different things now than he had said previously in his consultations with the previous doctor running the asylum uh, but that that doctor is quickly coming around saying, look, he's playing with you. He's faking you out. He's done this before. Uh, so we, we have a lot of these flashbacks to his childhood and the trauma from his, not only his mother, but uh, bullies from school and his, 
he has like an accident one day uh, falling down and he kind of scuffs up his face and this is the interesting thing about Simon was he well he didn't fall down the bullies like pushed him right. down but he feels like because you remember he had the, the gauze on his face for a long time he felt like he was like seriously scarred from this and so and he always looks at his face like when he sees his reflection he sees, he sees like, that yeah, still yeah he thinks he's like you know, deformed and something's wrong there. Uh, so even when he's like in a bar, say in a flashback, and a couple of girls are kind of laughing and looking at him, they might be doing it in that flirtatious way, but he's thinking they're making fun of him. He's always got this uh, self-image issue uh, dealing with women. Uh, he, now he, he doesn't just kill women. He's killed different people here and there throughout his career and life. Uh, but women tend to be the one that he lashes out at the most, including his mother at some point, because uh, of the abuse there. Especially when he meets a young girl in high school or whatever, probably more like middle school, and you know they date for a little bit, but then the mother mistreats her and kicks her out, <laughs> tells her to kick sand. She, and, you know, it was really sad too, because that little girl was the one who saw the boys bullying him and you know that they became like pals right and she then, was sort of way trying to like grounded him because he was really struggling mentally and he remember he was dyslexic and he couldn't read very well and then the little girl was trying to help him learn how to read and um the she found that letter that he had that was from his father mm-hmm and that she didn't want him that to see. She, that the mother didn't want him to see, but he had kept it for, for so many years. And um, apparently, like, his dad wanted to get custody of him, and his mother would never wanted to lose him. Yeah, the mother was scarred herself by the sense of abandonment by the father, and there was this really weird relationship with her and her son, and it's like... I don't think it ever quite goes to the sexual abuse part of it, but clearly she's very overprotective. She uh, doesn't want him, like, she wants to keep him secluded. She like, has, like, abandonment issues. Right. And she's, like, all about, you're my son. Right. The nervousness of him growing up and leaving or having girlfriends just isn't in the equation. She won't let it happen. And there's times when he sneaks out, just like, I think when. The mother kicks the girl after her glasses. That's right? where her glasses fell off, and I, I was, that, I even made that comment because I saw her like smack the little girl in the glasses. I'm like, yeah, to let her leave without her glasses, and then he sneaks out to give her his, and then when he gets home, there's like this red, eerie light, and the yeah, silhouette of his picked- mother. And I was like, <laughs> and she beat the living shit out of him. Yeah, when you think of like when people describe like monsters, like it isn't like a, a creature monster, but you. You know, Neko pointed out the the silhouette within the red doorway, and it's like, oh wow, it's like that's what he sees is like this ominous figure. That's what he sees. He does like he sees, and he knows already that he's gonna get his ass whooped when he gets in there because she's got some sort of like almost like a bullwhip. I've been there before. Yeah. So. That's so crazy. Uh, then there's a point later in his life that he. Somehow, like a small world, comes across the same girl from his childhood who's grown up and she's in a vet uh, facility because he finds like this dog that's been hit on the road 
randomly and picks it up. <laughs> he has a dead body in the back that he just got done killing another chick, but he's gonna pick up this dog that's hurt, take it to this vet hospital, and she's there. This this girl from his childhood that they were dating, and she recognizes him, and you know wants to invite him out. And actually, Neko kind of picked up on something else that I had initially picked up on. Um, the girl who from the past, uh, she lives with her brother. I always assumed it was like a boyfriend. It's not a boyfriend. It's her brother. It's her brother. So. And, but he. But he doesn't know this. It was his, yeah. Her husband. Right. He sees something else because he doesn't know the details. Now he gets inside her house and kills the brother. Uh, and is still there when she comes back because she forgot something before going to work, and she sees her brother and runs out. And you know, at that point, they really kind of don't see each other again um, until what was it that triggered him to go back and see her? Was she in the hospital or something? What was it? He went back to see her, I think, because he knew she was upset about right. about her brother. Oh yeah, so he, he he was coming in. Pretending he was talking about the dog. Mm -hmm. He was, yeah. So, yeah, he, he really was interested in her, but, you know, him killing a brother is sort of in the back of the, the space there. But they start dating. Like, they, they really end up start dating. She doesn't seem to have any questions about him. He, he's quiet, as usual. Uh, the relationship is pretty good. And then the, the cool thing about this movie is... When you have the flashbacks, they tie into present things. So, like, if he's running away from bullies, it automatically transitions to him chasing down a victim, a female victim. Uh, so it's kind of cool how they've worked in these flashbacks and these transitions between the past and the future of what he was doing. Um, now, here's the cool thing about that I didn't even know at all about this till I looked it up. I did a little Neko research. Oh, Halo, uh, Paul Glover, who played the dread dude, uh, the guard, the other guard also, and I believe Rebecca Hobbs, I, there's a few in here, they all were guest appearances on Xena and Hercules shows directed by Sam Raimi. Oh, wow. So, there's this tie-in to where they all knew, and this is the thing, the director, Scott Reynolds, who did this, was a big fan of Raimi, so... There's all this, like, tie into that and how they became... I think there's even a movie that... Parallel and Rebecca Haas never did much work after this. They did do a few things. Uh, but they did do a movie together again, like, after this one. I just... I don't know what it was. I didn't see it. But uh, that's interesting there. There's always that... Oh, yeah, I know her. I did this movie with her. We should have her come in and do this. You know, it's one of those things. You, who you know type stuff. Um, well, that's how it... Like, Usually, yeah. Everybody, you 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 end up kind of like in like we were talking about with um when we watched Step Brothers, like the Will Ferrell uh, posse. Like yeah. they all kind of have like this, and then you see like with uh Parks and Rec how the two they were on Parks and Rec and they were you know in Step Brothers. Like you can see how people meet each other from you know, working with different writers and directors, and that's, they kind of bleed off into each other's projects, and I personally enjoy it. Yeah. Um, 
the other thing about Reynolds was he's also influenced a lot by Kubrick and Hitchcock. So you kind of get that sense in there. And the one thing about Simon Cartwright is that he doesn't stop. And this is part of that clip that you heard is Rebecca Hall. I forget the doctor's name that she's portraying, but she's pushing Simon at this point to kind of get him just to be honest about what's going on with him. Like she's somehow just not believing some of the stuff he's saying. So she's pushing and pushing and pushing him. And he's saying, well, I have these visitors. And like, that was one of these new things that the head doctor had not heard. heard. So he automatically thought, oh my God, he's playing with it. Now here's where shit gets weird because towards the end, when Simon actually lashes out at the doctor, the female girl um, who's interviewing him, he's basically starting to strangle her and somehow we talk about that transference and the projecting Mm -hmm. she in the midst of like being choked is seeing these former corpses of his victims standing around him looking at her and they're edging simon to kill her like this is the one of the things that simon keeps saying is about the voices and the seeing dead people He's basically saying, yeah, every victim I've killed is coming back to tell me to keep doing it. They, they forced me to keep doing it, which is why he ended up killing his love, you know, childhood love is because of the same thing. Like, he was in a happy moment, but it's these past occurrences with him and his victims that is drawing him to continue what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So, there's this sense in this movie, like, what is real, what is not? And... That, that's what, like... That one part I was like, is is he really there? Like, but we we have to kind of think that maybe there is some supernatural forces at work because there's a point where Rebecca Hobbs' character turns to the head doctor of the asylum. She's like, "You've seen them," and he's kind of he didn't say yes or no, but he he kind of already knows what's going on. Like he, I think he was in a similar position where that happened to him, and he saw the same thing, and. His theory is Simon doesn't need to be released anyway. He just needs to stay put. Um, and then you have the other inmate, uh, the the older woman who uses the 3D glasses, and she's able to see these uh, beings, the visitors, uh, with the glasses. So it's kind of a weird thing. Like it's it's somehow Simon's able to uh, project this uh, with certain areas. And yeah, it's like they, it's like they're with him. All, all the time. And when he was choking the woman in the um, jail, they were kind of like, she started to see them. Yeah, and she freaked the fuck out. And I, I get it because they've got blood and they're all, you know, they look as they were when they pretty much died to uh, Simon's hand. But again, you know, even towards the end, there's this moment where. The woman is back home. She's stressed. She's going to bed and she has a nightmare that Simon's there. Or was it a nightmare? And then, the and then the next moment, we see her throat just like basically split open and blood's pouring out and Simon walks away from the bed. See, and I was like, did that really happen? Is she really dead? Or So th- you could say that was almost like her dream was almost like a precursor or a vision to what was going to happen. Um... And, that, and that's the funny thing, too, is because Simon breaks out after the ordeal with, with, with almost choking her in the in asylum. 
And he breaks up by beating to death the two guards that have been mistreating mm-hmm. him. And as he's walking out, the head doctor, the asylum, the, the other inmate, the older woman, is sitting there. And the other inmate's like, she deserves everything that's coming to her. Like, they just kind of, there's just, there seems to be this understanding with the head doctor that he knows that there's something else going on with Simon that makes him very dangerous. So it's kind of like, once Simon leaves, he's like, yeah, we gotta... And it's like they knew. They, we gotta call the authorities because we gotta track him down again. Mm-hmm. But he's gonna let Simon do what Simon needs to do because he doesn't really appreciate that this other person came here to showboat, basically, mm-hmm. uh, and try to make a name for herself using Simon. So he was kind of like, just like, alright, you go take care of your business, but we'll be back to find you. Uh, so, the cool thing about this, it's kind of like Bad News. It's just another hidden gem that around that same time that not many people talk about. And I was very taken back when you said that you really liked the film because I, I was hoping you would, obviously. But uh, not people... Not See, I've seen some people... or I should say I've seen an article where it kind of like the advertisement for the DVD says, yeah, if you liked... Silence of the Lambs or this, and I'm like, well, they're not quite on that level because no, the production's it's not, it's a lot not different. That kind of mindfuck, I don't think either. No, it's it's a little more straightforward. It's a it's a slow burn. It's not anything that you're gonna, it, you it's know. Like, it's like bone tomahawk. It's boring as fuck for a little while, but you need to kind of like hold on to the backstory. That was one thing. It was kind of like. It was throwing me a little, which was kind of taking my... But I, I was really trying to pay attention to the movie because I was losing... Like, they were jumping around so much that I was having a hard time concentrating on what was happening and what, and what was real and what and was... And that was part of that transition thing. That, that's the only thing that really throws a lot of people off is whether or not his demons, so to speak, are actually real or not. But I would assume because it's, both it's doctors just... saw them at some point uh, that they're legit. Um, but that could be like something that maybe the head doctor assignment was trying to explore more. It was like, how is this happening? Why is it happening? We never get to that point in this movie. But that's something that if you're a viewer of this, you're looking at this film, you're saying, yeah, so what does that really mean? Like, is this mean like this happens more? Like if we hypothetically went to Hannibal Lecter and said, does he face this kind of similar thing? Or does any serial killer fight? Oh, so you're, you're talking about just in general, like, going right. to people saying, like... Because the head doctor never wanted him out of there. Like, it was like... He knew... He, he even said And he it, knows that... He said it multiple times, that he will never be able to be... Right. ...around... Because it's always going to be there. And that's the thing, like... Because it's a combination of trauma he had in his past and then after his first kill which was his own mother right um she came she came back and she kept bringing people back like and she wouldn't leave him alone so it's kind of like hmm you have an interesting point and I'm just gonna throw this out there because of what happened to me the other night with the fucking uh the Benadryl so apparently there's a thing um that is going around on TikTok, which is if you take enough Benadryl, you'll you'll start like really tripping balls, like you're on LSD. And it is shown that as you get older, you become more sensitive to Benadryl. So I took like it was either one or two, which is completely in the 
prescription range. Like, it's, you can right. take one or two every four hours, and that's fine. I was, you know, I had some eczema, I was itching. I went to bed, and I literally felt like I was hallucinating. I kept hearing things. I kept, like, seeing, like, green spots. And I'm like, am I dreaming, or am I hallucinating? And I felt like I was laying on my stomach, and I felt like it felt like you were pushing on my back, but then I'm like, nobody's there. So I was, and I Googled the fuck out of it, and it's a, it's a thing, like, Benadryl, you can become sensitive. Which is going to my point with, is it a symptom in, because I, I, I wit, not witnessed, I experienced it myself. Like, you can see things and hear things that aren't, like, there. Just with allergy medication. Well, it's, I'm going to dive even deeper. Uh, early on in our dating, uh, you had many night terrors. Yeah, I haven't had, well, I had one a couple weeks ago, but, but not, mean, not to the extent I used to when I was younger. No, but this one was, you know, I was still living with Chris, and, you know, it was a little vicious. Like, you had clawed my back in the middle of the night, and I was like, what the fuck? And it's interesting because at one point when I was waking up out of my, my sleep, I thought... I saw a shadow standing at the end of the bed. And so, like... It's like, is my mind playing tricks on me because I'm freaking well, out? Well, we stink about the transference of mm -hmm. stuff. So, there's a lot that we don't know. I know we're kind of, like, going off the deep end with this. But, but it's... But it's, that's something that the ugly doesn't really explore because... It's something I'm wondering if, like, in real life... I mean, if something as simple as allergy medicine can make somebody have hallucinations... There's got to be other aspects to mental illness when you compound it, or maybe you're you're combining it with medicate other medications, um, or going to the supernatural side, like the transference, where somebody might be like interdimensional, or it might be somebody like spying on you, like he was uh, subconsciously. You you know, it's it's but you brought up a great point. Like, is that something that's common with serial killers now these are all fake serial killers that we're talking about but like right think about it i mean we talk about a lot of times when we watch different movies where you have the psychotic guys who say they hear voices and so like we don't always kind of like explore that part of it and this something about the ugly is cool when it does it doesn't really dive into it but as i said when we're watching the film you're initially saying to yourself is he really seeing these people that he killed or is it just something in his head but when he's interacting f with the woman like trying to choke her and kill her and she's kind of going to a, a subconscious herself because she's on the verge of death she sees them mm -hmm. so there is this weird idea that oh maybe there's something more to do with this like maybe not in real life but like when it comes to movies and you know, things like that. Or, you know, we could say it's real life, but you can talk about the whole, like, night terror stuff. But it's a very interesting concept. It, it's too bad the ugly didn't have the kind of budget to kind of, like... Because it's not, like, the longest movie, so they probably didn't have the ability to dive into it more if they even thought about it. But that's a very interesting concept. And I think just looking at it deeper, I'm saying to myself, well, that head doctor knew about those beings, the visitors, and... He 
isn't going to come out and say it because everyone will think he's crazy. Mm -hmm. So he will just sit there and go, yeah, this guy can't be out on the street. Uh, and in the meantime, I'm going to continue to watch him and, and try to research this. So maybe it's his way of like trying to keep Simon there so he can learn about why he's seeing these people and whatever it is that's triggering his, his madness. I mean, it's really crazy because like... And the interesting thing about all this is we talked about with Silver Bullet and <laughs> Bad Moon last night how Rotten Tomatoes had very low scores for them. Surprisingly. The critics did not like this. 40%. They did not like this. But the audience gives it a 69%, which is a, a pretty good rating. Considering. I think the critics didn't like it because, you know, it's New Zealand. It's not a bigger movie. It, it also, well, critics will often like independent films, but the problem is, I, it, it's you know, I think what we see is it's sort of like bare bones type of story. The script's not super strong. It's not. Um, it follows a lot of film, similar patterns and how they dialogue with each other and whatnot. Um, Acting wise, I thought it was fine. I thought everyone was pretty good. I mean, you might say the two guys who played the, just were a little over the top. right, but. You know, but that was sort of the kind of point. They were supposed to be that way. In fact, the only guy really out of the bunch that had like a semi-decent career in other movies was uh, Glover, the Dread guy. He actually uh, ended up being in some other movies, uh, more well-known movies, but they were more like smaller roles for those films as well. But everyone else kind of like just faded out and just went to do other things. But I did see like. A YouTube video interview with Palo uh, years later, and you know, he was talking about something else, something about like uh, just his experiences, and he's a director too, he's written stuff and whatnot. But uh, it's kind of funny just watching him now, years later, talk about because the accent's still there. And you're like, I know someone in the comments was like, "Hey, Simon!" So they're all still going to that one movie uh, for him because he, he did a really good job in that role, I thought. So I did too. I did too. I, I enjoyed it. I I mean, this is not going to beat Silence of the Lambs and no. stretch of the means for me, but I this is something I would watch. But if you like, yeah, if you like underrated, you know, stuff that you haven't seen before that you can still get enjoyment out of, this film's like one of them. I'm not going to say it's like the best movie ever, but no one ever really talks about it and you know when we talk about like there's plenty of bad movies this isn't really one of them i think you can really get some enjoyment out of it and the concept is cool uh it's not new but it's cool because of what we talked about there's some different elements to how this movie works uh that makes you think about things a little more and again like there's that point where he's ha he's in pure bliss he just had sex with his girl from childhood they had you know they were having a great time they were getting along and then killed her mm. killed the bitch all right well back into our music and we're going to kick it off with a band from a guy named keith i think that was well, screen name is keith on our bronco forums he's uh, going after keith bishop one of the former broncos i don't know his real name i have to try to remember uh but he's been in other projects we've played before, like Epitaph and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So they have a new record out they've been working on for a while. He's been really proud of it. It's pretty good. Choirs of the Void. Um, That's the name of the band, Choirs of the Void? Yep. And this is called Prescient Demise uh, off of that record. We also got My Dying Bright and Evoking Classic stuff from them. 
This is all right up Neko's alley with the Doom Metal. <laughs> but here's Choirs of the Void. Check it out, and we'll be back in a little bit.
We're Torah Fire from Victoria, B.C. You're listening to Metal Tavern Radio. Stay thrashing.
couple of tracks from Quabar PR and Xenocorp with uh, Son of Sam there with I Am and Neuro Chaos and Future Pleasures right before that. Getting ready to head the fuck out of here. It's been a long day, a long week. Kick back, watch some Joe Bob later if Neko can survive it. Yeah. Uh, Appreciate, obviously, everyone who uh, hang out with us and check out the podcast. And I know, Kevin, I saw some requests in my emails from you. Uh, I'll get that in the next episode for you. Oh, you didn't get Kevin his request. You're a mean, mean bastard. <laughs> you bastard. You bastard. You said bastard. No, but, like, I already had this playlist set up, so he's a little late uh, on that. Okay. But... We will definitely get him in on the next podcast for him. All right. Well, we're going to get the fuck out of here. And I'm, I... I'm good with getting the fuck out of here. You bastard. You bastard. I'm so sorry. I've been like the worst today. The worst. You I were really... so bad. Terrible. I really have. Fucking terrible. I mean, I don't know. You know, maybe once. The... She, she looks how I was like a couple of days ago. <laughs> well, I was like this. That night after I had my my Benadryl hallucination and we're trying to play racquetball and I'm just like, Meh. yeah, I was whipping your ass that day. Okay. Uh, all right, well, one last track from uh, Metal Devastation Radio Promotions, uh, Deuce Ex Machina, Machina. This is called As Is, and we will see you all next time. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. <laughs> We have developed speed, but we have shut ourselves in. Machinery that gives abundance has left us in want. Our knowledge has made us cynical. Our cleverness hard and unkind. We think too much and feel too little. More than machinery, we need humanity. More than cleverness, we need kindness and gentleness. Without these qualities, life will be violent. Nor will be lost. The aeroplane and the radio have brought us closer together. The very nature of these inventions cries out for the goodness of change. Cries out for universal brotherhood, for the unity of us all. Even now, my voice is reaching millions throughout the world. Millions of despairing men, women, and children. Victims of a system that makes men torture and imprison innocent people. To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed. The bitterness of men will clear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die. And the power they took from the people will return to the people.
so long as men die, liberty will never perish. <laughs>